Welcome to Ballistic Radio. Join us as we discuss hard-won self-defense lessons, as well as the information you need to survive a violent encounter. Listen as armed professionals, industry experts, national champions, and gunfight survivors help answer all your firearms and self-defense questions while exploring your rights and responsibilities as an armed citizen. Ballistic Radio, brought to you by Daniel Defense, the country's leading manufacturer of AR rifles and accessories. Daniel Defense, lighter, stronger, better. And now, here is your host, John Johnston. Welcome to Ballistic Radio! Brought to you by Daniel Defense, the country's leading manufacturer of air rifles and accessories. Daniel Defense, lighter, stronger, better. I'm your host, John Johnston. Remember, you can always listen to past shows at BallisticRadio.com. Get the latest behind-the-scenes info, arguments, photos, videos, other things that are interesting, I really hope, at Facebook.com slash BallisticRadio. Coasting with me... Melody Lauer! The Danger Pixie. Melody Lauer. Yeah. I don't know. Do you think that we're going to annoy people if I start introducing you as the Danger Pixie? Why would that be annoying? Uh, I am a lot the of, Danger Pixie. Yeah, it's a good point. Why do I care? Yeah. So the bumper music for, for the next segment should be Fallout Boys. I don't care. Boom. Boom. All right. I'm talking to Joe, by the way. Uh, Our amazing producer. Excellent producer. Who really, I, I, wish, I wish I could spend more time with, number one. And number two, I wish that he would turn his mic on so you guys could hear him as well as just being the little voice in my ear. But I swear to God, this one's real because he's right over there. Anyway. Hey, guess what? What? This has been brought to you by Lucky Gunner and Federal Premium Ignition. I didn't actually say segment. It was some other word, but whatever. Whether there was a firefight or you do, in fact, want to worry about that little guy, you need more ammo. And when it's time to restock, you can't beat Federal Premium Ammunition at LuckyGunner.com. With a shipping department that's always moving at 88 miles per hour, if I order a case of American Eagle from Lucky Gunner on a Thursday, it's at my doorstep ready to shoot before the weekend starts. Head to LuckyGunner.com today to check out their in-stock lineup of Federal Premium Ammunition. And remember, unless you're on fire or drowning, you can never really have too much ammunition. So, we've got Annette Evans joining us. World-famous author now, Annette Evans, talking about her, her new book, The Dry Fire Primer. I'm so jelly. Right? So, hey, Annette, how are you? I am doing okay. How are you today? I can't complain. Did you like that? Did you like that lead in? World famous author. How's that feel? Well, um, a couple copies have sold in Germany, so I guess technically I'm world famous now. Ooh, there you go. Congratulations. There you go. So <laughs> for those that don't know, and they really should know, but who are you? What do you do? And we'll talk about your book, and then I'm sure that we will jump on to some I don't know, other topic, uh, and and we'll go from there. That's always a little frightening. Well, It should I, be. Annette you should Evans. be scared. <laughs> I'm terrified of you, John. Um, I'm Annette Evans. I'm known as the beauty behind the blast, and I shoot guns, and I write stuff about them, and I own a range that we're starting up near Philadelphia called Race Street Range. Okay. Um so you you're in a competitive shooting. You write. You do all sorts of. So you 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 undersell yourself really well in that introduction. I have to say, um, but uh, do some instructing. You're happening. You you're like a 
a dirty lawyer, too. I mean, I'm not going to hold that against you, but no, there's not like a dirty comma lawyer. Wait, would it be dirty <laughs> no, lawyer? it would still be dirty lawyer, but um, okay. I didn't well, mean you, it that way. You but go, John. Nice. I did see her Don't just stop. cuddle a banana all oh. of SHOT Show. <laughs> I mean, Virgil's a very good friend of mine. They're, the inside jokes are flying at Ballistic Radio right now. <laughs> just going to be over here. So, you know what's funny? Phone. The look I was giving you before the show when you two were talking inappropriately. Is the look I'm giving you now. Yeah, yeah. Joe, you missed it. We were talking about Annette fondling a banana. Cool. Um, <laughs> now, I was going to try and make this better, but you know what? I'm just leaving it. You should. Continue. Yeah. So... <laughs> Talk to me about uh, talk to me about this book. Um, you you got a new book that um, came out digitally, and now you've got print copies that are sold out currently. Correct? Or I've pr- got maybe five copies left, so if you jump on them real quick, somebody might be able to get one. Well, I'm I'm gonna so this is gonna air like two weeks from now. Uh, I'm betting I have more by then, baby. Maybe we'll see. Um, but the the response is really positive. But, What's the book? What's it about? And we'll we'll go from there. So the Dry Fire Primer is the extended introduction to all the Dry Fire books that are out there right now. It's the book that explains to you why you really need Dry Fire in your life, how to actually fit it into your life, and then how to do it in a way that will actually make your shooting better as opposed to just making your Dry Fire better. So you're not, you're not really trying to um... – you're not trying to compete with any of the other books that are out there. And there's a lot of really good books that are out there uh, about dry fire. Um, you're not competing with those so much as supplementing them so that people are more effective in using them? That's right. I think that, you know, the books that are out there right now, and I use them all myself and I recommend them myself, this, you know, the Ben Seger books, the Steve Anderson books, the Mike Sequander books. But where I think they fall down a little bit is for people who are getting into dry fire who only know what dry fire is, and they don't know things like part-time. What is part-time? How do you set it? How do you use it? What, what, does it, what makes it useful for you? That's the kind of stuff that my book talks about. Okay. Um, so what's, um, I guess what was the impetus behind writing this? Finding that I was answering a lot of the same questions and seeing a lot of the same questions online and elsewhere when I'm teaching classes about dry fires, everybody kind of knew, oh, well, you can take your gun and without ammunition, press the trigger and practice a whole bunch. Like, but there's so much more to dry fire and there's so much more to using these books. And I'm kind of tired of saying the same thing all the time. So let's put it into a book format where people can get all their answers in one place. This is turning into like a really much more traditional interview than I usually do, and it's kind of interesting to me. Uh, what what were some of the questions that you were getting? I guess uh, what so like I'm I'm not a big dry I'm a huge dry fire proponent, um, uh, but I'm I don't I'm sure I don't dry fire nearly as much as I should because I have the opportunity to live fire a lot. Um, and I know they're separate things and we can have that conversation a little bit, but, um, I, I don't talk to people about dry fryer ton. Uh, now there's other things that I get questions about all the time. And like, so I know there has to be like one or two things that you hear all the time that you're like, uh, 
So I guess what what were those going into this? I think the biggest thing is people have this conception of dry fire as, you know, the penny trick or the dime trick. I'm going to learn how to press the trigger without moving, a di- letting a dime fall off my front sight or something mm. like that. And that's all dry fire is good for is it's pressing the trigger and learning that. And in my experience for the dry fire that I've done over the years, and that's a lot of dry fire, what I learned out of it was really, really good manipulation skills. I've gotten faster. My transitions have gotten better. My draw has gotten better. My reloads have gotten better. And that's one of the things that every time I saw somebody go, oh, you should dry fire, just do this. Like, no, there's so much more to it than that. And that's one of the things I want to explain to people. And the other thing I hear from a lot of people is, well, I don't know how to fit dry fire into my life. It seems like it's so much effort. Mm -hmm. And it's really not. There's so many ways to make it simple, to add it to your daily life, or even just to commit to doing it a couple of times a week, a few times, a few minutes each time, and it's still going to have a lot of benefits. Well, and I guess, you know, so now that you mentioned that, um, I'm thinking about, like, how I do things or whatever. I actually probably do 30 or 40 dry draws a day, um, just, like, baseline. Uh, and, and there's no trigger press there because I actually think it's important to – I think it's important to practice as many non-firing draws as it is to practice firing draws. And I, I would actually argue it's important to practice more um, non-firing draws and firing draws, but, um, so yeah, maybe I, I guess maybe I do dry fire more than I think. Do you, do you think that that's a common misconception as far as people think there needs to be a trigger press involved for it to be dry practice? That's a huge misconception. Um, the trigger press actually detracts from a lot of the work that you can do in dry fire. Mm-hmm. Uh, like when you draw a gun for defensive purposes, you're talking about drawing without pressing the trigger because I might draw my gun on a bad guy and not have to shoot him. Right. He sees the gun, he stops. But, you know, even from a competitive standpoint, I might want to, if I practice drawing my gun to see if I have the correct sight picture and practice getting the correct sight picture on the draw, mm-hmm. say on a really small target, a really far target, something with hardcover, adding a trigger press distracts me from whether or not I could actually get the gun on target. Hmm. No, I, I so why see add that. that extra skill? And, and I see that a lot because um, when I'm working, for instance, like you said, draw to pr- presentation, um, a lot of times you're right. Having that trigger press on the end can really um, – I'm, I'm so concentrated on just getting that finger on the trigger and, and getting that part done that I'm getting sloppy with maybe acquiring the two-handed grip. Or, um, you know, those particular, you know, fine details of the whole draw stroke. Exactly. So a lot of people go, oh, I need to draw and press the trigger. Well, if your trigger press is all janked up, and it is for most of us, then you're really looking at what a bad trigger press looks like at the end of your presentation, not what your presentation looks like. Well, so hold that thought because we've got to go to break. Right now we're talking with Annette Evans, and Melody's punching the microphone. And you're listening to Ballistic Radio.
Welcome back to Ballistic Radio, brought to you by Daniel Defense, the country's leading manufacturer of AR rifles and accessories. Daniel Defense, lighter, stronger, better. This segment brought to you by Wilson Combat. Wilson Combat, makers of the finest custom 1911s and scatterguns since 1977. A legacy of quality, innovation, and service. Learn more about their firearms and accessories, as well as the new EDC X9, which offers discriminating shooters 1911 match grade accuracy, superior ergonomics, and concealability with modern service pistol capacity and reliability at www.wilsoncombat.com. Um, so before the break, uh, you were you were saying how Sometimes when you add a trigger press in, instead of looking at what you should be looking at, you're just looking at the janky trigger press at the end of whatever it is you were actually working on. Exactly. It happens all the time. I mean, if you have a great presentation and you jank your trigger press and you've yanked your sights four inches off the target, then what does that tell you about your presentation? Mm-hmm. Nothing at all. All you really know is you have a janky trigger press. Right. Mm-hmm. Um. I guess what would be your your recommendation for then? Okay, so you've got you've been doing your 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 draw, and your draw looks really really nice, but you have the janky jigger press on the end. Would you? How would you? I guess transition from making those together. Would you just? Would you isolate the trigger press for a while and then try to add it in, or would you just kind of isolate it from like press out to trigger press? How would you do that, Annette? Well, both of them are really good options. What I like to do and. When I take a break from dry fire and go back to it, almost always the first thing I go back to is just pure trigger press shells. I'm doing, I'm pointing my gun at my safe direction white wall and only looking at the trigger press. I'm going to do that for a while, and then I'm going to, you know, work on the draw, and then I'm going to put them together. If I'm still having trouble putting together, maybe I'm going to back up for another bico drill and start from, say, having my grip on the gun or coming from high ready. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of ways to break up these drills, and that's actually one of the things that's in the book is how to break up the drills into micro drills to work on little pieces at a time where the problems are actually occurring. That And that's super, super duper important, and that's I, I think that's one of the things, like, like you said, is very, very overlooked, um, is that everyone wants to do every piece together, and they feel like if they're not doing all the pieces together, they're not really working on it, whereas micro drills can... Um, like for my own draw stroke, as an example, uh, breaking down, just clearing the cover garment and getting a grip and working that over and over and over again until it's super fast, super efficient, and I can't screw it up. And only then do I add the actual drawing of the gun. Um, and when I work with um, some of my students in that, sometimes they get really frustrated because they're like, oh, I just want to draw the gun. And it's like, no, 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 no. Just have faith in the process here. You will thank me once you see, I know it's really frustrating because you really want to get that gun out of the holster. But (laughs) right now, where you're falling down, for instance, on Sunday, I had a student who really, um, his on the press out, his left hand would constantly go faster than his right hand. He was a right-hander. And what ended up was when he bring his hand together, his, his hand would slap the side of the gun. And so I got him in a micro drill of all you're doing is you're going from the holster to a two-handed grip and then going right back to the holster. You're not pressing out. Mm-hmm. From the holster to a two-handed grip, holster, two-handed grip. And he was getting super frustrated with me. And I'm like, just hold on here. We'll add in the last part. And then, you know, I had him do it towards the end. He was like, wow, that's, that actually makes a really big difference. And I'm like, yes, micro drills, they are life. 
The other cool thing about microdrills, especially when we're talking about the draw, is I don't know about you, I don't have a really safe direction in my bedroom where I put on my gun in the morning. But one thing I can do when I'm, you know, I've got a new cover garment or maybe I've changed guns or carry positions, whatever, is you can get in your five minutes of dry fire just clearing your cover garment, getting your grip on the gun. Mm-hmm. You right. know, do 20, 30, 40 reps of that, leave the house. And I think that's, that's really, really important, especially if you change. And I tell this to my students all the time. For a woman that has a, a vast uh, array of different lengths of cover garments, uh, depending mm-hmm. on the type of shirt that I'm wearing, having doing just that, like you said, acquiring that grip, clearing the cover garment, acquiring your grip, I have found actually that there are shirts that I can't wear and actually expect to get a good grip unless I radically change how I clear that cover garment. And um, yep. you won't know that until you actually do that. And that doesn't necessarily mean... Like you said, drawing the gun, you can get your quote unquote dry fire practice in by, you know, doing a micro drill like Getting that. Getting your grip. Mm-hmm. And it gives you recency, which we know is one of the most important yes. parts of being able to actually do the skill is to have done it recently. Mm-hmm. So if every morning you make sure you can get your hand on the gun when you need it, if you need your gun later that day, you've practiced it just a few hours ago. Yep. Your brain is like, oh, hey, we did this. Exactly. Well, and, and, you know, if people want to learn more about that in our context, uh, John Hearn has done some amazing research there. Um, and that, it's just funny, too, because a lot of people, and I, I mean, I'm as guilty of it as anybody else. I guess a lot of people are not necessarily as imaginative about what dry practice is or is not and what the benefit is. As they should be, I guess, almost. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know. What What are your thoughts? I, I think that, you know, people, like I said, they have this idea, this, this really set idea of what dry fire is. In the competition world, I see a little bit more variety because, pe- especially the last couple of years, dry fire has become like the hot thing to do. Everybody has to do it. Um, so we kind of have a better idea of, things that you can do in dry fire, like practice classifiers or practice match skills and things like that. In the defensive world, you know, we, we what I've seen is maybe some more very, very basic skills, and then you get to the other end of the spectrum where people are like, I'm clearing my house with my gun. Right. Like, that, no, don't do that. Well, yeah. Well, at the same time, though, I, I tell people, like, even just taking a blue gun, and going around mm-hmm. your house and practicing your muzzle directions, like in your muzzle control, is dry practice. It is dry fire practice to a degree, you know, um, because if you're going to move from one spot to another with a gun in your hand and you have not practiced actually being aware of your muzzle direction, the first couple of times you do it, it is difficult. And you find yourself pointing at gun, your gun at, at things that you never, ever intended to. And you're like, whoa, wait. I, And especially if you have someone either watching you or are videotaping yourself to where you can't mm-hmm. be dishonest with yourself and go, oh, well, I didn't point my gun at that. But there it is. Um, yeah. You know, that's really valuable. And it has nothing to do with pressing a trigger. It has everything to do with just handling a gun positively and, and establishing good habits. And I think it's really important that you mentioned there, use a blue gun. Yes. And yes. <laughs> that's, where, that's where some people fall down on the, I'm going to practice clearing my house. 
with my carry gun that I think I've cleared. I'm like, that's bad. A blue gun is great for that. Mm-hmm. A finger gun works for it. Like yeah. literally just pointing your finger like it's a muzzle. One of the drills I do with new competition shooters is tell them, pick a spot on the wall or pick a direction in your house that's safe, point your finger gun at it, and then start moving around. Mm-hmm. You know, turn around and face the other direction, walk on every direction that you can think of, go to different rooms and keep your finger gun pointed there. That's a really safe way of doing it. And like you say, that is still dry practice. Yeah, absolutely. And I, I think that's, yeah, it bears reiterating that, honestly, I think a blue gun is one of the best tools that you can get for a lot of different things, even even honestly practicing your draw stroke. Uh, especially mm-hmm. if you don't have, like you said, a, a very designated 100% safe safe area that you can do that in. Get a blue gun in the make and model of your particular firearm so that you can do your draw practice all day long and, and you know, work out. Or if you've got, you know, trigger finger discipline issues and you want to work that out, like don't do that with a real gun. Do that with a, do that with a blue gun or a cert gun or something like that. Plus, you can leave it out all the time safely. Right. Um, let me ask you this. Uh, we got a couple minutes left in this segment, um, minute and a half. So uh, what is a safe direction? I think a lot of people, um, a lot of people like sort of pay lip service to that. But let, let's, let's, let's really dig into that let's for a second. Unpack that. Yeah. You're going to give me a minute on this? Well, I'll give you <laughs> more than a minute on that. Here, so what you should do is you should engage in witty banter for like the next 50 seconds or so, even 30. And then then we'll really go into it in the next segment. So I should have really wordy things to say about how there's no way I can possibly answer this question in 30 seconds because it's a difficult topic and there's a lot of things that go into it. Wait, you forgot the standard lawyer answer, too. Well, it depends. And it depends. Yeah. Uh-huh. <laughs> hey, look at that. Uh, depend- well, I was going to say, it's it's time for the break. So we're talking with Annette Evans. You're listening to Ballistic Radio. Welcome back to Ballistic Radio, brought to you by Daniel Defense, the country's leading manufacturer of AR rifles and accessories. Daniel Defense, lighter, stronger, better. This segment brought to you by Surefire. Know your target and what is beyond it. But how can you really know your target? By shining a really bright light at it. And that's where Surefire comes in. From the new 1200 lumen EDCL 2T handheld or 500 lumen EDCL 1T handheld to the 1000 lumen XH35 or 300 lumen XC1B, Surefire can make sure you never have to yell Aziz light ever again. Now with more lumens and improved switching. The best just got brighter, Surefire. There's a special offer to Ballistic Radio listeners. You can get 20% off everything at the Surefire.com web store, except batteries and suppressors, by entering the discount code AZIZLIGHT. That is A-Z-I-Z-L-I-G-H-T, no space. So we're talking with Annette Evans about dry fire, and we're, we're asking, what is a safe direction? Maybe. Well, maybe we're asking that. Classically, I don't know. Yeah. Classically, a safe direction is a direction that you can fire, fire a gun and nothing can be harmed that you don't want to be harmed. Mm-hmm. Right. That, that's the classic definition. The hard part is once you're doing dry fire inside a house, most of us don't have berms mm-hmm. in our houses. 
I mean, I do, but I'm a little unusual that way. Yeah. You are unusual. Um, I'm like, dang, I want to berm now. Well, I mean, I, I shoot a well, machine gun a off of my people... back deck, so I I have safe directions, too. Yeah, but, but a lot of people don't have truly safe directions in their house, or their safe direction is mediated by something that's going to make it somewhat less safe. Mm-hmm. So a lot of people say, well, you know, use a brick fireplace or a concrete wall or a cinder block wall. It's really common in basements mm-hmm. or garages, and that's... You're going to get containment if a live round is fired in that direction, but you're probably going to get some pretty nasty ricochet. Mm-hmm. The good thing is you're probably only going to hurt yourself, and that's <laughs> kind of about as good as it gets in a lot of houses is you're only going to hurt yourself. Um, I will the other say, thing, I will too, say is this. you might only have – Well, I was going to hmm? say, if you happen to have a fireplace that has got wood paneling, um, that will completely contain a 147-grain 9mm HST. That sounds like it's from experience. Well, so there's a funny story. Uh. Um, there was a, a bat in my mother's basement. Um, and apparently, and I never knew this, but my mother um, has a thing against bats. Um, and after spending quite a bit of time trying to remove it from the house and being unsuccessful, and it was about 3 in the morning or so, um, she goes, just shoot it. And I'm like, Really? She's like, yes. I'm like, okay. So I did. Um, and a, a wood-paneled fireplace will contain a 9mm, 147-grain HST. The bat will not, but the fireplace I'll, will. Uh, so anyway. I'll have to remember that and add that to my list. Um, wow, I told that story so on air. That was, that, yeah, that was probably... Yeah, I'm like, I can't believe you told that story on air. But anyway. Can we call me Batman now? <laughs> well, I I've think, always wanted to be Batman. I think what's interesting, though, <laughs> is that it's actually not that difficult. Like, for instance, you, you, you mentioned a cinder block wall in a basement. or mm-hmm. um, It's actually not that difficult or expensive to add a little bit. Uh, to that to make it something that actually will contain a, a bullet, whether that's, you know, even just gluing a couple of two by fours together and sticking it in front of that cinder block wall um, and making that, a, you know, and putting a target over top of that and allowing that to be your, you know, your area. I know uh, Carl Wren has a an old um, Kevlar vest that he has in his classroom where he will tell people, hey, if you need to do anything with your gun, go over here, point it at this old Kevlar vest. And, I mean, that's it's, a, it's an expired one, so it can't be used, you know, as a vest anymore. But if you were to dry fire or whatever, that's a perfect place, you know, or, or handle a so, gun. That's a perfect place to point. That's a, a relatively safe direction. So here – and relatively safe is kind of where we get from most of it. And here's where it gets a little more difficult is – you know, we talked about conceptions of dry fire. A lot of people think about dry fire as a one-target kind of deal, but it's not. No, yeah. And it gets increasingly difficult to find a really safe, truly safe direction in a house or an apartment when you're starting to do multiple target drills, you're starting to do transitions, you want to do 90-degree work mm-hmm. where targets are set at 90 degrees to each other. And that's where you go, I don't want to make compromises in my safety, but I need to be very, very aware of what I'm doing and what's beyond the wall that I'm using. Mm-hmm. I mean, I can, I've can. i taught classes where I ask people, hey, where do you hang your dry fire target? Oh, on the back wall. What's behind your house? 
oh my god, the neighbor's swing set. Yep. Mm-hmm. Well, you know, bullets don't so. go through things. I mean, that's not a thing. Well, and that's why when I define a, a safe direction for my students, it will all it I I. I try and change the terminology a little bit to the direction that was least likely to cause harm or financial damage or the least amount of harm or financial damage. Because you're right, when you're in a home, it doesn't really matter which way you point that gun, you're going to end up having to pay for something to be repaired if it goes if it's a hole in the floor if it's a hole through a window if it's you know what i mean like you're gonna have to end up paying for something to be replaced if you're if you're negligent or or um you know careless in that situation or even if it is quote unquote like you said a a safer direction that it's a ricochet you're going to replace mm-hmm. something, and hopefully it doesn't include anyone going to the hospital. But when you look at it from those particular perspective, it's like, okay, what's going to co- this is going to cost me 50 cents to put some putty in versus I'm going to have to explain why I shot through a wall and, and at your swing set, you know? Um, right. Which are you going to choose? And, and, yeah, being very mindful that bullets can pass through things and what's on the other side. And you're right. I, so many people are like, oh, yeah, I didn't think about that. Huge thing to think the other, of. The other reason I like to phrase it as you do or to talk about safer directions is that I think that once people have what they think of as a safe direction in mind, they become complacent in their other practices. Oh, well, I'm going in a safe direction. I don't have to be as careful about mm-hmm. using a blue gun, using a barrel block, making sure that there's no ammunition in the room, making sure my gun's really, really unloaded, not restarting dry fire after I reload my carry gun because <laughs> they have a safe direction. So how do you, uh, so you talked about like multiple target areas and stuff like that. And so what do you do? What do you do? How do you, how do you ad- advise people who want to do, like you said, target transitions and stuff like that? And they have a rel, you know, a regular residence. Um, what would be your advice to them if they wanted to do that? You're still going to need to find the safest available direction. That's going to be one large piece of it. And then if you know that your safest direction isn't, 100% ideal, then you really, really need to beef up your other safety practices. Such as? And that includes, un- unpack that, you know, yeah. Yeah, like use cert guns instead of your real gun. Like just don't even bring a real gun into the equation at all. Um, in my house, my dry fire gun, my match gun, is never, ever, ever loaded off the range. There's mm-hmm. one very minor exception to that, and so while it's really shady match hotels, and even then I usually have a carry gun that's loaded, not my match gun. Um, ammunition is never in the magazines that go in my match gun. Ammunition is never in the room that I use for dry fire. That room stays completely sterile. So by adding all of those layers on, because I may not have a 100% ideal direction, I think that helps. Mm-hmm. I know that there's people who say, well, don't dry fire at all if you don't have a 100% safe direction. I'm like, well, the reality is that's not going to happen. What do you think of things like um, like training barrels or, th- or um, somehow disabling your firearm from being, uh, from being able to accept either live round or fire a live round? I think it works for a lot of people. For me, um, training barrels make it difficult for me to practice stuff like reloads. Mm-hmm. And some of the blocks don't work with my holsters and things like that. And I've used other strategies. Actually, one of the things I do is I use very clearly marked dummy rounds 
mm-hmm. on the theory that if I have a clearly marked dummy round that I have placed into the chamber of my firearm, a real round can't be there. Mm-hmm. So I think they're helpful. It's just they have to be part of your conscious strategy to avoid safety problems. Um, we got about a minute left in this segment, but I guess um... – do you think that people don't respect how um, how potentially dangerous everything we do with a gun is if we do it wrong? Does that question make sense? I think so. I mean, I, I, coming from the competition world, especially where we do all sorts of things with guns that people raise eyebrows at. You know, like in three gun, we're tossing guns down into buckets, we're running around, things like that. And people forget sometimes that what we do for fun, what we do either for a match or in training, results in real people dying if we screw up. Yeah. Um, and well, here let's it's go. It's easy to forget that. Yeah, let's go to break and we'll talk about that for a second. Right now, we're talking with Annette Evans. You're listening to Ballistic Radio. Welcome back to Ballistic Radio, brought to you by Daniel Defense, the country leader in of air rifles and accessories. Daniel Defense, lighter, stronger, better. So, we're talking with Annette Evans. Um, and there's a quote that I, I use in every single class I teach, and it's from Daryl Bulky and Wayne Dobbs. Um, and it's, to paraphrase, um, every time we handle a firearm, we're making life and death decisions. Do you th- I, And I know you kind of already talked about this, but... Do you think that that fact can be overstated enough, especially when, you know, when we're when we're talking about administrative handling or or what's supposed to be dry practice? I don't I really don't think so. I mean, every single one of us has a story where they or a friend or a friend of a friend put a hole in a TV or a light switch or something like that. Dry firing. Yeah. And the opposite problem of finding that they put an empty a empty gun in their holster after dry fire and left the house. <laughs> I'm not saying I've done that, but um, <laughs> I can do one better than that. Not only have I put a hole in a tree in my front yard uh, at like three in the morning, which was interesting. Um, I've I've walked out of the house without a gun in my holster. Period. Oh, I've done that too. Yeah, totally. And then been yeah. like, oh, turning around. So why am I in my slippers and with a holster and no gun? Yeah, wow. I was pregnant. I, I totally blame <laughs> that on pregnancy. Right? Yeah. Well, there's not enough. There's never enough. Um, so but I, I'm going to I'm going to make a caveat to that. What's interesting, though, is, you know, we talk about the four rules of gun safety and how they are overlapping areas of protection. Right. So, you know, John had this moment where he put a hole in a tree at least it was a tree, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Um, where if you have those practices and you have, so if you if you royally screw up on one of them, if you're doing the other ones right, your chances of actually injuring someone or something that you didn't intend to, yeah, you might have a little bit of property damage or whatever, but your your actual risk of injuring yourself or someone that you didn't intend to are relatively low. Now, granted, you still need to really examine what you did wrong and try and fix that that never happens again. But at least you're putting holes into trees 
and not into people. Well, and I, to, to sort of piggyback on that, then I'd, I'd like to hear what Annette has to say. I think it's incredibly important to understand that no matter, no matter your level of experience, no matter your level of training, um, no matter how, you know, careful you are, you are capable of making a mistake in a moment mm-hmm. of uh, distraction. Exhaustion, distraction. Yeah, you know, things like that. Yeah, inattention. Uh, and that can happen to any of us. Sometimes just accidents happen. I mean, I shot a match last August and went flying halfway across the range because I tripped on something that we never found. Well, I, I think you tripped on the air in front of your uh, foot, <laughs> if I remember correctly. Because I've seen that video. Like that is amazing. And it's probably kind of, about eight million times. Yeah, yeah, I've laughed really hard. Um, I <laughs> like the part where you bounce. Now. That's that's actually the best part of that video. But it's like, oh, we're running, we're running, we're falling, and we're hitting the ground. So, yeah. Uh, but no, I mean, so what? What would you tell people um, to help um, help with that? really hard because the answer to that is to be intentional and be mindful of what you're doing as much as you can Um, to build as many good habits as you can so that if one habit splits has a you know if you if you miss on one habit the other ones are in place to build safeguards around what you're doing but that all requires a ton of work and a ton of acknowledgement of the fact that what you do is very very potentially dangerous like, mm-hmm. we can't laugh off the, oh, you might shoot somebody. No. Like, no, it, that, that's what it is. We're playing with really, really dangerous objects here. We can do it safely. We can reduce a lot of risk, and we generally do a good thing with that. But the only real answer to that is stay intentional, stay mindful. Do you do you use the tactic, and I know Claude Warner has talked about this before, of – audibly like speaking to yourself um like for instance when you're done with dry fire practice okay i am done with dry fire practice as you put things away um i've i've heard of other people saying that's beneficial what do you think i think it's a really good idea for people especially people who are using their carry gun for dry fire in my case what i do is i dry fire in a completely separate area of the house so that doorway acts as that specific reminder for me Mm -hmm. that once I step into what I call my dojo is that's where dry fire is. That's where, you know, all of my safety practices for dry fire are specifically in place. And, you know, I can relax a few things because I know that my other practices are so strong. And as soon as I step out of it, then that's my reminder that, you know, this is a gun and things can be hurt by it. And yes, it could be hurt by it in the dojo, but now I have to be even more careful because I don't have the safeguards in place that I have in that space. Mm-hmm. And I've used, um, there is a, a very interesting uh, video uh, that I watched about kind of the combination of using verbal uh, reminders and also tactile reminders as well. Like for instance, every mm-hmm. single time I pick up blue gun, especially if it's an environment where I'm going to be demonstrating something that is pointing at a person 
as a means of, mm-hmm. okay, this is a blue gun, and yes, I am pointing at you intentionally, but before I do whatever this drill is, I will look at the blue gun, I will physically touch the blue gun as a, mm-hmm. okay, not only is this a blue gun, I'm ident- and then I say out loud, blue gun, as though I'm asking myself, am I sure that this is a blue gun? And then I look over it and I confirm blue gun. So I say it twice, blue gun, blue gun. Okay, this is the drill mm-hmm. or this is the practice. So that way there is never this moment where I'm going, oh, I've just got this gun-shaped thing and I think it's a blue gun and I'm going to point it at someone. There's a mm-hmm. three-part process of me identifying that this is actually a blue gun before we do whatever it is that's going to mean pointing that in anything that, and it's intentional. It's not, it's not an unintentional, oh, I accidentally swept this person. It is, we are deliberately pointing this blue gun at another person as a means of demonstration or training, but we're going through Mm -hmm. this process to make sure that there has been a system check to make sure that there has not been a safety violation there. What's hard, I think, is a lot of people take on these practices and they they're kind of like the uh, the range dance of looking around after you finish shooting a drill. Mm-hmm. And how many times have we been on the line or seen on the line people just kind of shake their head around and not really see what's there? Mm-hmm. They can do the same thing with verbal cues. That so, is true. you know, again, it comes down to mindfulness and intention. We can use these sorts of rituals, and that's what they are, rituals to focus that, but we need to remember that you can't just say the word. Yes. You have to actually mean what you're saying and ask that question. Kind of like whenever I put a gun back into my holster, I always check the condition of it. You know, one bad match, and I will totally remember to always check. Um, Melanie's got a story about that. <laughs> the, the amount of side-eye that John is throwing at me right now. I, I had that happen to me where I, I literally... You're not the only one. Yeah, I, I lost. I went from what should have been first place to third place because I didn't have a a chambered round. And I realized that I had bad habits. So what I was doing was I would would put a empty gun into my holster and I would put a loaded magazine in the magazine well and I would say to myself, oh, well, I'll chamber around when when it's appropriate. You know, when it's appropriate to have the gun out of the holster, I will chamber around. And I would forget. And once I Mm -hmm. realized that that was a failure point of mine, I now have a very strict rule that either the gun is completely empty in my holster, I do not I do not put a loaded magazine into the gun unless I am in a position where I can actually chamber a round. And I still check it. Mm-hmm. Oh, trust me. <laughs> I still oh, yeah. check it. But changing changing my rules for myself has helped tremendously as well. Yeah, and a lot of it too as you point out is you have to find what works for you. You know, for other people maybe that works okay. For me, you know, I must chamber check or check, you know, take a look down into my gun about 15 times during make ready during a match to yep. make sure there's actually a round in the chamber. That's what works for me. For other people, it's, you know, the way that they chamber that round or the point in which they do it in their make ready routine or whatever else. It's the same way with dry fire is, you know, for me walking into the JoJo and having my, you know, having a specific gun for dry fire works. Maybe it doesn't work for somebody else because they don't have the space or because they're using their carry gun and they need a verbal cue or maybe they're going to put a sign on the door of where they dry fire. Well, uh, and that's a great place to end. We are out of time. If people want to buy your book or, uh, or really 
find out more about what you're doing or saying, where can they do that? They can go to my Facebook page, which is facebook.com slash blastingbeauty, or you can go direct to the book, which is dryfireprimer.blastingbeauty.com. Nice. Well, thank you so much for taking time out of your day to talk to us, and uh, I'm sure that uh, we will we will talk soon. So um, thank you again. Be safe. Thanks for having me on. Yeah, no worries. Do you want to say bye to Annette, too? Bye, Annette. All right. Hey, make sure you check out our website, BallisticRadio.com. Like our Facebook page at Facebook.com slash Radio. And hey, keep leaving those five-star reviews on iTunes. We really appreciate it. It helps us out. Thanks for listening, everyone. As always, be safe. See you next week.